Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast. It is me, Jim Hill, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, August 7th. I know, I know, Mr. Testa typically handles his part of the podcast, but this week, Len is traveling, which is a rather polite way of saying he's just one step ahead of the authorities, moving at speed through northern and central Europe as, as Testa attempts to evade Interpol. Mind you, it's, it's a very hush-hush affair, though if should Len succeed, perhaps he'll share some details about his latest adventure on or about Schmerzday, August 21st, which is when Mr. Testa is expected to return to the show. Not to worry, though, folks. It isn't just me driving the Disney Dish bus today. Though, to be clear, I want to give credit where credit is due. It was Eric Hersey, the very talented young man who's been handling the ongoing overhaul of uh, Jim Hill Media, who said earlier in the week, you know who should you should really ask to fill in for Lynn? And after I heard Eric's suggestion, I was like, no, I can't. He's too busy. That, that's never going to happen. And Mr. Hershey, she said, well, what's the worst he could say? No. So I asked. And this incredibly talented man not only agreed to fill in for Mr. Tessa, he actually said, I'd be honored. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome a genuine Disney legend, Josh Gad. I am no Lentesta, Jim. I hope you know that today. I am going to follow your lead. But yes, I. what's so funny about this, and I said this in my email to you, is I've been approached to do like 10,000 podcasts lately. And because of my schedule, I couldn't. But for you, I said yes. Why? Because I love you. And more importantly, my daughter's favorite, as you already know this. It's my daughter's favorite podcast. The lovely Ava, you know, and, and, and by the way, uh, just touching on the whole Disney legend thing, I prefer the term you mentioned at the induction ceremony back in 2022, yeah. which was corporate night. So have you, in fact, succeeded in, in getting that put on while well, you were trying for your driver's license and legal papers? Was that right? Yeah, it's it's surprisingly difficult to get the DMV to recognize uh, instead of a Sir Josh Gad Disney legend, Josh Gad in any official capacity. Uh, so so far, I've been unlucky in that regard, but I'm still working on it. And in environments like this where I have some leverage, I would ask you to always refer to me as Disney Legend Josh Gad, just because it, it just feels like it's it's it makes me more of an authority to talk to you today and and it inflates my ego so it, it actually has like a dual effect okay well we will let the groveling begin <laughs> one final quick question here at the statue they gave you at the induction summary yeah that sucker looks heavy it's 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 really heavy Jim. okay so so where is it i mean not for strictly burglary purposes but where is it in the house well i'm, I'm gonna show you so oh. your 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 viewers or your listeners won't be able to mm -hmm. see but there are two items mm -hmm. that my wife absolutely cannot wait to get rid of <laughs> when i'm away on broadway one of them is this giant olaf that in that literally arrived to my house mm -hmm. in an Ark of uh, the Covenant style crate that my wife almost divorced me over because I wasn't home. <laughs> it brought this giant thing. And then there is this the statue. It's in it's in my office. It's lovely. It's lovely. A am I I'm viewing that correctly? Is it surrounded by members of the Rat Pack? What am I looking at there? Yeah, there's a I'm I'm very into the uh, sideshow collectibles. So I have a, one of them, mm -hmm. as you can see, mm -hmm. 
is uh, Marlon Brando Godfather. One is Charlie Chaplin, my favorite comic of all time. And one is Mr. Sean Connery as James Bond. And then there's a little, I don't know what that is, something that my daughter made at school that's just this little cardboard house. So it's 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 kind of a, an amalgamation of things that just surround it. I, I, trust me, if you, if you were to, to see the, again, we, we got this place from the Unabomber at a good rate. A lot of weird crud here as well. All right. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Oh, I, I, again, I really, really appreciate you doing this now, given that you, you are about to go to Broadway. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in fact, uh, you have just begun rehearsals for Gutenberg the Musical, right? Yes. Yes. We, Andrew Rannells and I, my co-star from Book of Mormon and I, uh, along with our brilliant director, Alex Timbers, just did our first week of rehearsals. And it turns out, Jim, that uh, 12 years is a long time between Broadway stints because my body is really taking a beating. Like I forgot how difficult Broadway is compared to movies and TV. And I'm now regretting it, actually. Uh, re physically regretting it. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I just, I remember I, I was lucky enough to get a sit down once with Nathan Lane and he talked about when he did the producers and just the notion of eight shows a week and in order to deliver that what you have to deny yourself I mean the irony you're in a Broadway show you've got 1500 1600 people in a theater who are gonna yay and it's like <laughs> oh this is a matinee day I have to go to my, my my dressing room lie down and eat a cheese sandwich you know I can't even go out and do the sign the autographs thing because it's cold outside and I could blow my voice it's like it's my uh, my singing teacher because when you're on Broadway you, you need one of those she always mm -hmm. has this great expression which is the hardest thing about Broadway is staying well enough to do Broadway. And it's so true because you're, it, especially with the colds and COVID and everything else out there, it's very easy to get sick and you don't want your audience to, to miss the opportunity to see you do your thing. So I'm going to be uh, living the life of a monk for the next five months. Well, and, and just to, so people understand, you know, this is, this is a limited time engagement. Previews begin on November 15th with the then actual opening of the show on October 12th. And then you and Andrew are only there for, for 20 weeks out to January 28th of next year. That's right? right. So our first preview, September 15th, and then we're, we're doing the show till January 29th because that's all my body will physically allow me to do Jim. So uh, it's going to be a blast. I mean, it's, it's, he and I, uh, the most difficult thing is going to be not laughing uh, during the, the run because it is, He's the funniest human being I've ever worked with. And, and anyone who saw Book of Mormon can recall that we are truly idiots together. So it's it's going to be a blast. And I, I'm very excited for you. I hope you're going to come see it. You let me know when you and Nancy want to come. Very, very much looking forward. If, if nothing for the book by Scott Brown and Anthony King of <laughs> the Upright brilliant. Citizens Brigade. I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. So glad you're yeah. back. But at the same time, I just want to take a second here because uh, you've posted a couple images of, of for example, uh, you out on the line for the SAG after a yeah. strike, doing your part to keep this thing front yeah. of mind. And I, I just, so people know, back in May, you did the exact same thing outside of Fox for the writer's strike. I mean, I love that 
us working stiffs that you, you took the time to do. I'm a union this. guy. I'm a union guy, and I'm very proud of my unions, and and I'm a member, uh, a card-carrying member of the WGA and Screen Actors Guild, and it breaks my heart that we're in this situation, but I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we are fighting for a very uncertain future, and the the rise of ai is is one of many issues that i think uh everybody is trying to wrap their heads around and and to get certain protections in place are so imperative now because the flip side of it is it'll be too little too late if we don't so my hope is that this is all resolved soon but my uh yeah. my insurance policy is that i get to go back to broadway and write it out <laughs> i think you're a very bright man cuz I keep checking with folks and it's like, how, how much longer? And it's like, I keep hearing December yeah. and it's like, holy crap, really? I don't think that, I don't think that's accurate. I think it will be resolved. I think that Barbenheimer, uh, as, as it's being called, did a really sobering job of reminding our industry what the power of great filmmaking is. And I think it's a reminder that audiences want to go back and they want to be challenged and they, and they want to enjoy these communal experiences. And it's going to hurt everybody if they don't have a consistency, right? And, and I think that with next summer's slate being in jeopardy, if this isn't resolved soon, I think co- cooler heads will prevail. Well, that's not what here's hoping. But now, speaking of doing your part, I love how, given, again, everything you're doing right now, I get a rehearsing for a Broadway show and, and, and so on, you still found time this past weekend to fly home, collect your yeah. girls, and then head out for a Taylor Swift concert. Meanwhile, all your listeners are like, it's called the Disney dish. What the hell does this have to do with Disney or dishing? We're actually going to get there in like a 10th Well, because a I'm second. a Disney legend, I guess it all falls under the umbrella of Disney dish. So I, I, there we I, go. Yeah, so there I, we go. I don't feel badly for them. Just hang on uh, as I tell you guys a story of going to Taylor Swift. So I, <laughs> I, my daughters are giant Swifties. And I have, through them, become... Mm-hmm a bit of a Swifty myself. I, I honestly, Jim, it's like Beatlemania. Like this, this concert, mm-hmm. the Eras tour was one of the most wild things I've ever seen. Just the level of passion mm-hmm. and the level mm-hmm. of, of fandom. And I totally got it. Like watching this brilliant talent do mm-hmm. something like 45 songs in three and a half hours. And every song was a song I knew or have heard. Mm -hmm. It really blew my mind. And I needed some brownie points with my girls because I'm leaving them for four months to go dance and sing uh, in New York. Mm -hmm. And I think, Jim, I think I achieved a level of respect from them that I really haven't had in quite some time. So it's gotten me a get out of jail free card at the very least. And those are lovely as a parent. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. But but that's it. In the middle of this presentation, you and I have to share this one image out of, again, the three hour, 45 yeah. song concert. Here comes Miss Swift. She goes backstage. She makes a costume change. And then she steps out through that magic. That was an old. No, that's not this concert. I wish that was this concert. That was on her 1989 
tour where she came out for a Halloween dress as Olaf. And that image was sent to me by a bunch of fans. As I was posting all of this stuff, they go, you know that she dressed up as Olaf. And I was like, I had no idea. And so I, I reposted that. And what I said, and I mean, this is there's now officially only one Olaf and that is Miss Taylor Swift. She, she has been given the mantle. It doesn't uh-huh. matter if she sounds completely different than I do. I expect that audiences will go with it because she is the goat and I, I bow down to her, uh, her brilliance and her talent. This reminds me of the moment I was sitting down once with Ernie Sarbella and we were talking about at that point. Hey, Jim, how's it going, Jim? (laughs) You you nailed it. Nailed it in one. I mean, that's the thing. He's a force of nature. And he was talking about they were just getting the live action or the the CG version of Lion King up, up out of the ground. And it meant that Seth Rogen was going to take over as, as Pumbaa. And Ernie had this very gracious thing. And they said, well, no, you know, the, it, it's a different take on the material and they're doing different things. And sure, I'll let him borrow it. You know, he can borrow Pumbaa. I'm not necessarily signing Pumbaa over to him. So, you know, it's like I... I would imagine, you know, much the same thing with, with Olaf. You're, you're perfectly happy to see Taylor share the character, but face it. Yeah, I'm cut. Da- Daddy's coming home. Daddy's coming home for, for there this. There we go. Now. There we go. Uh, no, I expect to get that call one day. I've put myself in that like mm. sort of place of like, okay, one day I'm going to get the call from someone over at Disney that they're doing a live action Frozen. Mm. And I'm going to have to pass over that mantle. I expect to be less gracious than Ernie Sabella. I think I'm going to like fight. I think I'm going to, you know, fight Jacob Tremblay or whoever ultimately gets that character and just kind of try to sabotage them. As (laughs) I demand that I get the James Earl Jones style treatment and come back in my 80s to play Olaf. I don't think it's going to be successful, but I'm going to try. Okay. But from 2000, what, 10, 11, when you originally began on the project, you and your family have had an interesting journey with Olaf. In fact, you have that that wonderful story you tell about, you know, well, again, when you work on a Disney film, and a particularly an animated film, and you, you're lucky enough to do a character, there is always this odd moment, what is it, about three months, four months out from the release of the film, when a giant cardboard box shows up at the house filled with your merch, as in the merch for your character. Yeah. How old was Ava when this happened? This would have been 2013. Ava was teeny tiny. I think I've told you this, but the first the, the, the first time, okay, I took her to a screening of Monsters University, and they had a mm-hmm. teaser attached for mm-hmm. Frozen. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it was it was Olaf and, and Sven, and Olaf just laughed. That's all he did. There was no dialogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a specialty made teaser and mm-hmm. my daughter, Ava, who's like two years old, she looks up at me and mm-hmm. she goes, dada, more dada. <laughs> and it, it startled me that she, <laughs> A, knew that based on that laugh, that was her father and B, mm-hmm. that she wanted more of me, not less. And, and, I, and I've told you the story about how I was attached to actually do a DreamWorks movie and, and Katzenberg didn't want to let mm-hmm. me out to go do Frozen, and John Lasseter agreed to these crazy terms, which was basically Jeffrey saying, if they don't let you do any marketing or publicity, you can do the film. And John, to his credit, didn't balk. He he, wow. you know, saw Jeffrey's bluff and raised it. And, and so I got to do Frozen, and 
I think we've all spoken about this, but there wasn't an expectation that Frozen was going to be anything other than a really wonderful little film that continued mm -hmm. sort of Disney's comeback uh, after Tangled. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly there was nothing in the air that would have made any of us anticipate a cultural phenomenon. And I went to mm -hmm. a cast screening of it with Jeffrey, Chris Buck, and Jennifer Lee. Yep. And I remember Ida, my wife, turning to me after it was mm -hmm. done and she goes, and she is, by the way, she discredits everything I do. It's constantly, eh, could have been better. Or, eh, it wasn't as funny as <laughs> I think you thought it was. And she looks at me, and which is very unprecedented for her. She goes, this is special. And I go, it is me. Mm -hmm. She goes, no, this is like really special. And so we, we sort of knew it was really good. But then the movie came mm -hmm. out and overnight, all of a sudden, everybody was singing Let It Go and everybody was trying to buy merchandise. And so me having a daughter was mm -hmm. just trying to buy like a simple Elsa outfit and I couldn't <laughs> find one anywhere and they didn't have enough product. And I called Bob mm -hmm. Iger and I said, yep. and I said, is there any way I can get mm -hmm. like a dress for my daughter? And he goes, mm -hmm. Josh, I'm trying to get some from my family and I cannot find them anywhere. I've had to literally wow. reach out to the Alani Hotel in Hawaii uh -huh. to get like one outfit. <laughs> it was like, I was like, if, all right, if Bob Iger can't get it, then then I'm in good company. But if we, we, we jump ahead, February of this year, we learn that we've got a Frozen 3 along yeah. with a Toy Story 5 and is it so Zootopia 2 coming? And and by the way, I know people want me to ask, but folks, there's a writer's strike on. There's an actor's strike on. Nothing significant is happening right now. By the way, you can ask me. The truth is, is I have nothing to offer. Do it. All right. Okay. <laughs> so there we go. Question answered. All right. So D Jim did his job, guys. Don't blame him for the fact that I can't tell you. There you go. I know things, though. I know things, Jim. And, and again, it's tempting to ask, but I'm going to be good. <laughs> All right. But at the same time, as you were talking about, it's like originally Frozen, cute little film, continuing the, the Disney comeback that was started with Tangled. But November of this year, we are going to see Arendelle, the world of Frozen, open in Hong Kong. I'm so, I was supposed to go and I can't. That was my question. It was one of these things I looked at the timing and it's like, he's on Broadway. He can't go. Though... Next year, on the other hand, spring of uh, 2024, Tokyo opens its Frozen Kingdom, a uh, part of their, their Fantasy Springs. And ha have you been? I have never been. You and I should go together. Uh, Let's go. Let's make should? a trip. Okay. I have been told I was supposed to go to promote Beauty mm -hmm. and the Beast, and I couldn't because of my schedule. And I've been dying because everybody I know who's been to... Tokyo Disney and particularly Disney Seas has said it is the greatest theme park on earth. And you know I'm a theme park buff. No, no, no. Same thing here. And no, I've, I've heard the exact same thing. Though I don't know if you've seen the amount of money and attention and care that's now being poured into Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. In fact, especially on the heels of, remember how, what was it? World of Color, Lights of Winter. Yes. You, yes. Didn't you host yes. that? They're actually building this brand new frozen land there at the edge of a giant lagoon that will be their nighttime entertainment. Oh, no way. You know, that, that, I didn't know that. Yeah. So 
that's coming over the hill. But again, that's not till 2024, 2025. So we're a ways away. Well, Jim, where's the, I mean, what about Disneyland? That We don't get any love? I have been hearing for quite some time that the pieces are there if you look at it right. If you walk into the park, you look at the Matterhorn and you, you know, you have your, you have your waterfall, you can see your, your bobsleds. But the notion is, what if this were a two-sided mountain? Oh, this is major chess on Disneyland Park. But first of all, you finally admit that Disneyland's Matterhorn is not an attraction. It's a transportation system. <laughs> I mean, think about it. When you're on it, it's like, yeah, okay, another three minutes, I'll be able to so, get so out. By the way, it's a transportation system that really hurts my lower back every time I, I take that bobsled. No, no, you and me both. You and me both. But you pull down that tangle of Matterhorn track throughout Tomorrowland. And then you look at where the motorboat cruise is. And the notion is that the side of the Matterhorn that faces into Disneyland, you build Elsa's Ice Palace three quarters of the way up. You know, it's sort of a a perspective thing. And then you build Arendelle at the foot of the mountain where the old motorboat and all of that monorail track was. And it's a surprisingly big footprint. And it means that you could, in fact, for example, bring the Frozen Ever After ride from Florida, or at least the, the version for Hong Kong and Tokyo that has some capacity. I don't know if you've seen the the vehicle for that, but they're, they're getting like 30, 40 people in it at a time. Yeah, I, I recorded some... Uh, some additional dialogue for mm. both of their attractions in Hong Kong. So they gave me sort of a, a virtual tour of, of it. And it's, it looks mm. really impressive. I will say this. I mm. don't want to be there the day that they announced that they're converting the Matterhorn to Frozen because something tells me there will be a lot of unhappy people. <laughs> I, I get it. In fact, we're, we're going to talk later on today's show about the whole hatbox ghost. And it's just sort of like... Really? This is a pitchfork and and torches moment. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Let the classics be the classics. Build it somewhere else. That's what I always say. Now, just to be clear here, what they're talking about, Matterhorn stays. Oh, great. The idea is what they do on the face of the side of the mountain that faces into the park rather than up toward Main Street. They throw Elsa's Ice Palace up on that. Right. That That I support. I'm, so by the way, I'm still pissed at Disney for getting rid of the Maelstrom. That was one of my favorite rides ever. Mm, I know, tr- those, I know. But, all right, now, now you, you just mentioned recording dialogue, and I have to bring up, because Drew came back from Annecy having seen Once Upon a Studio oh, Jim, and just loved Jim, the short. Have you not seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. I have I have had people blither at me about it, about how wonderful it is, and not just because it's such a, a beautiful tribute to Bernie, but the thing that made me the happiest was them talking about the moment where it's Olaf and the genie. When Trent, Corey, and Dan, the directors, brought it to me and sort of showed me exactly what they were going to do, and, mm. and Jen Lee, who knew I am the big, you know, I've told you ad nauseum now that that Robin is the reason that I got into this, and and I I started crying. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that I was gonna finally share the screen with my with this icon of mine who is also a friend of mine, and um, you know to know that the family had blessed it, to know that it was um, 
never before heard dialogue as brief as it is. It, it just, it, mm -hmm. no pun intended, it made my heart melt. And I just think it is truly such a beautiful love letter to Disney animation. And, and when people mm -hmm. see the level of detail and the level of true Easter egg <laughs> beauty that, that that they've you know reached out and in, into the library and and brought some of these iconic characters to life in a new way i think it's going to blow people's minds i'm really excited about it now in theory it's supposed to be out in theaters ahead of wishes uh wish excuse me disney wish which still has a november 22nd release date but again we were talking earlier in the show about the strike and i don't need to tell you this past friday sony just changed a bunch of their release dates. In fact, they pushed back the sequel to Ghostbusters After Life. And, and by the way, it kind of frustrates me that you don't get credit. You're in that movie. You're Munch. That is so funny. I literally got a phone call one day from, from Jason Reitman, who's a friend of mine, and he goes, I want to I mm. screen my new Ghostbusters film for you. And I go, great. And I saw mm. it, and I loved it. And he goes, now there's a microphone two doors down. Do you mind coming in there and just... Like, as a favor, just laying down some goofy tracks just so I have something to, like, animate to. And I was like, of course. And six months later, he calls me and he goes, so do you mind if I use that for the movie? I was like, sure, <laughs> So, yes, I'm technically in Ghostbusters, uh, which is so, so bizarre. But there's, uh, yeah, it, wouldn't it just be cheaper to, instead of moving all of your films a year, to strike a deal with, with the guilds and... And, and this nightmare. I know, I know, but it just seems to be such a strange moment in the industry between so many people who, who you know, it was the Oklahoma land rush into to streaming. And then people got in there and it's like, oh crap, it's television in 1948 again. It. It's one of these things where it's like, how do we make money off of this thing? It's like, shouldn't you have thought of that beforehand? You know? Well, that's what my, my friend said while I was on the picket line. You break it, you buy it. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, this is, you know, this is what everyone chose to do. And now we're, we're pop committed and you can't suddenly be like, well, we're not going to pay you fairly because we decided to break the system. I'm hoping and praying for a speedy resolution because, again, the, and that's the other thing people need to understand here. This isn't just the writers. This just in the actors. It's everybody that, below that the is line. The, that's the, the part that breaks my heart the most. I was I was just, I actually brought my uh, makeup artist out uh, to, to give me a haircut today before I go to Italy. And she was saying, I am truly living, you know, right now in a way that I don't know how it's sustainable. And like without doing side gigs like this, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And, and that's the part that I don't think anybody really appreciates is there are so many people who are taking such huge sacrifices right now that have nothing to gain by these strikes. And those are the people that I'm really praying this gets resolved for quickly. I, I, I count myself as blessed that I get to do what I get mm -hmm. to do and that I, I make the living that I get to make. And honestly, it's the people who don't that I'm, I'm really worried about right now. And I, and I frankly think everybody needs to be thinking, the guilds, the, the AMPTP needs to be thinking about how we can, you know, support and make sure that those people can continue to keep a roof over their heads. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Nate and I, when we go out to California, I, I love to drive around like Culver City or the immediate neighborhood around, you know, now the Warner's lot. 
and you see all those tiny little bungalows of people who, I mean, they it, it's literally, these are the lighting guys, these are the costume guys who back in the day literally got up in the morning and walked out the door and, and walked into the factory to make movies. And people forget that there are still people who do that. You know, they get in this weird space where, well, it's all done by computers, right? You know, and it's no. like, no, God, no. No, these people are the reason that the things that we make look and sound mm -hmm. as good as they do because they are they are the true magic makers you know you just put us in front of the screen and we pretend they don't pretend they build they are incredible craftsmen and craftswomen and it's it's a remarkable gift and 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 i hope we all get back to the business of making magic again soon Here's hoping, here's hoping. Okay, folks, so those are all of the questions that Disney Dish listeners were expecting me to ask Josh Gad, <laughs> professional show business person. But all right, in a moment, you're going to hear from Josh Gad, the Josh Gad that I know, who's a big honking theme park Sorry. nerd and Disney history obsessive. But, oh, but first, got to acknowledge new subscribers, Hudson Horner 51, Not a Cool Mom, and Matt H., not to mention longtime subscribers, a Denise Phillips, Kat Espy, and Simply Salvra. Josh, these are the dedicated folks who are in charge of grooming Harold. That's the name of the abominable snowman who lives inside of Disneyland's Matterhorn, as I understand it. Uh, <laughs> They keep Harold's coat nice and shiny uh, by means of diet and a heavy amount of product, which, which has to be rubbed in every morning. Downside of this gig, Harold's dental hygiene. Uh, this abominable snowman simply refuses to use the water pick that he's been given by Disney, uh, which is why after every meal, he picks his teeth with an old ski pole. But a true story, absolutely true story. Denise, Denise, Cat, Simply, Savaro, and, and Matt H., thank you guys for doing that. I... That sounds very demanding, and that is really sweet to do as subscribers to, to, to keep a coat that shiny and clean. Also, I want to remind folks that we actually have a new sponsor here on, on Disney Dish, which is Touring Plan's own travel company. Uh, these folks obviously know their stuff, and when you book your next trip to Walt Disney World, hey, they'll toss in a free subscription to Touring Plan's. So uh, for more information about our new sponsor, please check them out on touringplans.com. Backslash travel. Okay, so before we get started with this week's news, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the sad passing of Disney historian Jim Corcus. We talked about this in an earlier episode of the show about uh, the hard fall Jim took back in January, and then this is why I don't like going to the hospital, Josh. They find things. He went there for a fall, and while they were there, they found an arterial blockage. And then when they were opening him up to deal with the arterial blockage, they found cancer. And it was it was one of these things where Jim was a fighter. And, and, and it was the deal was he had to be able to get out of rehab before they could then begin chemo. And he was definitely chugging in that direction. And but sadly, this past Friday morning, July 28th, we lost him, which Again, huge, huge loss to uh, the Disney fan community. I, I wanted to ask, I mean, he's written 30 books about the company. Did you, have you ever read any of his stuff? I'm or? pretty positive I have read a f okay. a, quite a few mm -hmm. books by Jim, and, and I just want to take a, mm -hmm. a second and give my condolences to Jim's family and friends and loved ones. It's, I, that's heartbreaking, um, sending all my love. It is, it is. And, and I just want to also shine a spotlight here on Mark Goldhaber, who really stepped up. Mark was the one who set up the GoFundMe. 
and again, though, with an eye toward let's help Jim with his his hospital bills. And thanks to Mark's effort, they've raised over forty one thousand dollars. But more to the point, what was cool about this is Jim was in the hospital and he could see both from a fiscal as well as a physical point of view that how much people cared for him, how much they valued his his work and his worth. And Mark had arranged for him to have a brand new laptop so he could, could look at these donations and these kind comments come in. So thanks to everyone who donated. And also just want to uh, let you know that at some point in the not so distant future, uh, I think Mark was posting about this, there will be an online Zoom memorial service. But for now, as Josh just mentioned, our, our heartfelt condolences, myself, Mr. Gad and Mr. Testa, go out to Jim's family. In fact, his brother, kind of interesting, his brother Mike, for years, has cast the live entertainment productions at Walt Disney World. So the family was, was very much in the mouse house. But changing the topic now to, to something lighter, because I know, I know that if Corcus had heard about this, he would have an opinion. But, <laughs> but have you heard about the Smellifants coming to the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World? Jim, only through reading the show notes today, and I was like, what the hell is this? I, I Please explain to me what's going on. All right. Well, look, I, I, I don't need to explain this to you, but there's an aspect of the Disney theme parks that have to do with corporate alliances. Uh, the company has these uh, ongoing relationships with companies that are the leaders in their individual field. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. You walk through the park, it's like, okay, Coca-Cola, Kimberly Clark, Dole, you know, uh, Pandora Jewelry. But anyway, in June of 2021, Sensi signed with Disney Parks Products and Experiences to become the official home fragrance of the Walt Disney World Resort. And I, I know you, Josh, and it's effective. You were lying awake at night wondering about this, right? Well, who is the official home fragrance? You know, I just... I, I was. I thought I thought until you sent me this, it was Dracar Noir. And now here, my mind is blown. <laughs> Sensi, Sensi it is. So tell me what they're doing. All right. Well, back when this deal was signed, Sensi, you know, announces this is a multi-year arrangement and that we're excited to share that Sensi and Walt Disney World Resort will be working together to bring a great new guest experience to life within Fantasyland uh, at the Magic Kingdom, uh, creating rich storytelling opportunities through fragrance. So late last week, Disney Parks tweets out some details about this Long of the Works project, uh, which will use fragrance to power a storytelling experience. And it, and its name is Smellifants on Parade, presented by Sensi. Here's the thing. Gimmick of this is that they're going to set up a series of statues around Storybook Circus at the Magic Kingdom. By the way, the design of, of each of these figures is going to take their inspiration from the Pink Elephants on Parade sequence from uh, 1941's Dumbo. But once these statues are in place, and I, I want to stress here that there's no opening date yet. That Disney Parks did not share that info. But now, once the statues are up, guests will be able to sniff them out based on each statue's distinctive Circus-inspired scent. So we have popcorn, we have a cotton candy, lemonade, supposedly. I'm assuming, given peanut allergies, peanuts is not on the table. Quick question here, Josh. It, when you were narrating the first season of The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom for uh, for Disney Plus, by, by the way, I, I really miss you on that show. Uh, you know, you did. <laughs> so sweet. 
Well, no, you did a great job uh, you know, narrating this National Geographic production. You, you brought a lot of warmth and humor and sincerity to the proceedings. And, and it had cute little animals. So during that, did you ever get the chance to go backstage at, at, at the real Animal Kingdom? I mean, uh, particularly visiting the elephant barns? No, I, I never got the, the actual sensey experience uh, of of real uh, animal manure and, uh, and, and skin sweat. But <clears throat> I also recorded all of that from my office during the pandemic, so that's probably why. But I'm, I'm very oh, yeah. intrigued by this, Jim. I, I, I kind of want them to branch out and do this for other attractions. Like, I'd love a Sensi Spaceship Earth. Uh, I'd love to just <laughs> smell <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> Burning Rome. There we go. Okay. You know. I guess it really already is kind uh, of sensey, isn't it? Yeah. There we go. Wow. I don't know. For me, it just seems like it's going to be kind of a twofer that, you know, you spend the your morning over at the Magic Kingdom walking around doing the smell of on parade, and then you, you hop the monorail, go over to Epcot, and then you take a light bath while traveling through Journey of Water inside my Moana. You know? so, they're going to love that. You know, just official Disney hand towels available. And we kind of talked about this at the top of the show, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, because face it, smell offense on parade. We don't have a, a precise timeline when this is coming into the park. On the other hand, we're all fairly certain, given the news that broke, that we know about when uh, the Hatbox Ghost is coming into the Florida's Haunted Mansion. And you're a guy who grew up in, in Hollywood, Florida, yep. so your first Disney Parks experiences were at Walt Disney World. And so how do you feel about the Hatbox Ghost coming into this attraction where they're talking about putting him in in, in the endless hallway area. Uh, look, uh, let me preface this by saying that I always defer to the Imagineers. I think that they are the most talented group of individuals alive on Earth in any creative capacity. I was reading, when you sent me this, I was reading a little bit about it. And I do sort of, I am a traditionalist when it comes to preserving story over anything else. And I am a little confused as to how story-wise this works to, to introduce mm -hmm. a ghost before we're introduced to the presence of ghosts. Um, but I also, every time I've doubted Imagineering, they've always surprised me and have been right and have found a way to make it work. So I, I trust them. I am so glad to have you say that because to my mind, this is kind of that, was it 2008 when they put those 29 stylized Pixar and, and Disney characters Small World. in California's yeah. Small World? Yeah. And and it was one of these things where it's Kim Irvine. I mean, literally, well, first of all, you know, the, the, the daughter right. of, of Madame Leota. Madame yeah. Leota. And Alice Davis, I mean, literally the woman who created all of the outfits for Small World signed off on this. And yet the, the Disney community behaved when the news broke about these figures going in, you know, as if it's, you know, they're putting a drive through window at the Vatican. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you know, they, they're going to do it with care. They're going to do it with thought. And so everybody was <laughs> until it opened. And then they saw it and went, oh, it's lovely. Never mind. Carry on. And I just, 
I, I kind of have that inkling. It's the same thing with hatbox yeah, for what I agree. It's called I mean, plusing an attraction, not minusing. They're not taking anything away by giving us something new. And as somebody who uh, frequents Disneyland quite often with my daughters, I will tell you that that hatbox ghost effect is is worth every second of that experience. Mm. It's just it's such a wonderful effect. And I love the fact that they keep plussing some of these older attractions. Although I wish they would spread the wealth a little bit and do it. You and me both. <laughs> I mean, you know, it just, it, it just, but I get it. I get it. When, you know, if you talk to any Imagineer, you know, and they're, they're like, well, what made you decide you wanted this career? And they will say pirates. Pirates. Haunted. Yeah. And that's it. Exactly. And it's just, and so, and you look around the park and it's like, you know, we're on our 35th plusing of, of pirates and, you know, it's like, <laughs> okay, guys. Pinocchio's on fire. Can can we maybe do something over there? Uh, yeah. and it's like, they, by the way, I, I they did such a phenomenal job of upgrading Snow White out here and Alice in oh. Wonderland. I hope that they do the same thing with the other dark rides, those old school dark rides here. That would be great. That would be, you know, that, that wonderful marriage of the projected effects Beautiful. along with the practical. I mean, no, they've done great, great work. So speaking of work, folks, we still haven't gotten to the feature yet. So tell you what, when we get back from this break, Josh and I are going to talk about a topic that he himself picked for today's show, which is Epcot's never built Spanish pavilion. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A very wise man, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, once said, The only constant in life is change. Which is why, often in spite of our carefully laid plans, we, we can sometimes find ourselves at a crossroads in life, unsure about what our next move should be. Sometimes this crossroads is a professional one, you're unsure about your career path, and, and sometimes it's a personal one. Maybe you're in a relationship that seems, well, stale or, or, or stalled. Whatever the reason, if you're genuinely struggling to find the proper path, maybe therapy can help you map out your future. Uh, more to the point, teach you to trust yourself enough to then find a way forward. Look, if you listened to this podcast previously, you know, following my divorce, I was a wreck. My then teeny tiny little daughter wound up 6,000 miles away. It was, a, it was a very bleak time for me personally, but I was smart enough back then to listen to friends who suggested that I get some therapy, which then taught me the coping skills I needed to get through that dark, dark time. Which is why if you're thinking of starting therapy, might I suggest that you give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is an online counseling and therapy service that's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So, if you're looking to make a positive change in your life, why not let therapy be your map with BetterHelp? Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Look, Josh, I know you flat out love Epcot. You have been very vocal about, you know, how you feel about Walt Disney World's second gate. When did you get your first visit in there? Uh, I was born in 1981. My first theme park memory is going in 19... 19- 
84 to mm-hmm. Epcot. And the Epcot that I grew up with was, was I, I think, in my humble opinion, the greatest achievement ever by Disney Imagineering. It was everything that they learned from Walt taken to the max. So I grew up with World of Motion, mm-hmm. Horizons, the OG Spaceship Earth, and of course, the incredible uh, pavilions of World Showcase. And I remember as a kid, early on, reading about all of the unbuilt pavilions that were still to come. Of course, the Africa Pavilion, there was, you know, talk at the time of an Israel Pavilion and and oh, yeah. Denmark and yeah. quite a few others. And, and I remember as a kid seeing those images and being so excited, or of course, the Rhine River, Germany, you know, and, mm. and the, the Mount Fuji, which never got built roller coaster. And, and I, I, I just remember like deep into the nineties still Wishing and hoping and praying that some of those rides and pavilions were going to get built. And of course they didn't. But here's the thing. I mean, some of them came so close, but got tripped up for reasons you'd never think of. And Spain is kind of in that pile. Now, I guess we need to back up just a teeny tiny bit here. Epcot had this weird development process that, you know, remember that Walt buys all this land in Florida because he's going to make you know, a futuristic city, you know, Epcot the city. He dies in December of 66. And to put this politely, the folks who were running the company after him kind of lose their nerve. And so the the idea begins to mutate. And eventually, after a couple of false starts, October of 1978, Card Walker, the then president and CEO of Walt Disney Production, he's standing in front of the the 26th Annual World Congress of International Members of the Chamber of Commerce. And doesn't that sound like a happening crowd, Josh? (laughs) If only I could time travel. (laughs) There we go. Oh, give me my polyester blazer. But uh, anyway, it's to this group of exciting individuals that Card reveals that Epcot Center is finally, officially, we really mean it this time, happening. Walt Disney World's second gate will consist of two themed areas, the World Showcase and Future World. And not only that, uh, as Card stood in front of the crowd, he went on to say, we have letters of intent from businesses and government interests who are eager to participate in the first phase of World Showcase. And the initial 10 standalone pavilions were, and and, and again, remember what Josh just mentioned, because you're going to hear some of these names again. So we had the United Mexican States, we had Japan, we had the Federal Republic of Germany, we had the Kingdom of Morocco, we had Canada, the State of Israel, the United Kingdom, the French Republic, the United Arab Emirates That's right. and the, uh, the, the Italian Republic. And I, all right, before you all start yelling at your car radios, yes, Josh and I know we did not include the United States, but there's a reason for that. In this early iteration of EBCOT, and in fact, you've seen that art, right? Where they, they had the American oh, yeah. pavilion that it stood basically at the edge of World Showcase Lagoon, but Closer to Future World, it was supposed to be what the bridging pavilion mm-hmm. between Future World and World Showcase. Was that prior to them taking both models and putting them together? It's funny you break that up because yes, that, that Marty loved to tell that story. Just you know, the two of them <laughs> sitting outside of the board of directors, where they're they, they, you know somebody's project is going to die yeah. today, and John Hench is sitting there with his model, and Marty's sitting there with his model, and then it's that that. You got peanut butter in my chocolate moment. It's like, wait a minute. You know, it's like, boom, it's one park. You know, let it go into the board, tap dance. We can sell this. Now, speaking though of 
having to get the board, you know, and remember, you only can get so much money out of people and you can only build so many things, you know, and be ready for your, at this point, it was a projected opening of October 82. So Card actually mentioned that, you know, that what's cool about this project is we've already mapped out phase two and that he, uh, he goes on to say to the Chamber of Commerce, we have already have substantial support for our planned second phase of this project. In fact, the Imagineers are already drawing up plans for two other pavilions to be added to World Showcase during the first five years. One will celebrate Spain, while the other will be devoted to, as you mentioned earlier, Equatorial Africa. Jump ahead four years, and if you were lucky enough to be at Epcot Center in the fall of 1982, as you walked around World Showcase, you would occasionally arrive to an empty plot of land where a billboard was standing. Oh, and in fact, what's so funny is that this thing was so rushed, Josh, it wasn't even sawed. They had laid down <laughs> artificial turf on top of the dirt. So it's like so a billboard on top of plastic grass, which, which says so much about early Epcot. So, uh, for example, one of these things that was set up was for the future site of Epcot's Israel Pavilion. That billboard proclaimed that the soon-to-be world-built World Showcase Pavilion would be where the old meets the new in the land of the Bible. And there was a, a brief description of this pavilion, uh, which still actively in the works in the fall of 1982. In fact, remind oh, me at some point, Josh, if we're down in Florida together, Seth Kaberski, who, who works with, with Len, I don't know how he got his hands on it, but he has the complete set of plans for the Israel Pavilion. Oh my so you can God. literally look at what was supposed to be built. But the description was uh, the menorah, the symbol of the state of Israel, it's stands so in a, a center courtyard. It's such insane, <laughs> you know. really. Wow. And then, uh, what is it? Uh, surrounded by buildings reflecting the rich balance of old and new, and walk through ancient Jerusalem to an amphitheater to hear performances of both classic and folk music, and sample native dishes under the shade of, of olive and cypress trees in the Israel Pavilion. We continue around World Showcase now, uh, and clockwise, because Israel was supposed to be built between France and Morocco, which I thought was interesting. If we, we continue counterclockwise, if we head over to plot of land that we'll find uh, standing empty between Germany and China, this was where the Equatorial Africa Pavilion was supposed to be built. I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that presentation. I remember watching that oh, old yeah. on Disney Channel, that old Epcot. Uh, what Josh is referring to is the special yeah. that ran on CBS, which was, was hosted by Danny Kay, who I don't know what happened during the shooting it's, of, of that he particular looks, TV he special. He looks like he's definitely on some happy juice or something. It is wild. It is a little wild, but evidently after he finished directing the West West Point Choir, <laughs> evidently while he was on camera doing this, and you got to understand, you know, they're covering this. This is the big finale of the show. Danny drops his trousers and evidently ruins the shot. And Dick Nudis was so mad, was like, it's just get him off of the tower, get him in yeah. a golf cart. I want him out of my park. So if you want to challenge folks, put that up on your, your big screen TV <laughs> at home and see if you can catch the moment where Danny's trousers fall down. But yeah, what Josh is referring to is there's a moment where Alex Haley, the, the author of Roots, is standing in front of this amazing model for the Equatorial Africa Pavilion. And he and Danny are finishing up this segment in the show. And it's like, so they're going to be in construction? Yep, they're beginning it right away. Okay, I'll meet you here in a year. 
And that's a segment. So it was like, this thing was supposed to be up for fall of 83. And then if we continue counterclockwise and eventually end up between, uh, you know, in front of that piece of land that once upon a time stood empty between Canada and the UK, but now is the entrance to the world showplace, this was where Spain was going to be. Oh, that's the heartbreaker. Well, and it gets so much worse. The way they sold this was discover the golden land, Savoia, Cervantes, and Picasso. And and then the actual description of what was going to be built here, it's like, Take a spectacular journey through Spain by film to little-known and out-of-the-way vacation Edens. Uh, a ride attraction captures the country's passionate heritage and spirit of its arts. And in a waterside restaurant, indulge in tapas or Spanish-style finger food. This is so far back, they have to explain what tapas are. <laughs> but anyway. And browse in marketplaces of striking contra contrast from Pueblo villages to astrocratic opulence. By the way, don't let that journey through Spain by film thing throw you. This was not going to be another movie travelogue like Oh Canada, Impressions de France, or oh, Wonders yeah. of China. Yeah. This was actually, I've been told, this was an Omnimover. It was kind of inspired by, uh, oh God. Uh, the Delta? If the Delta wait. attraction? Yeah. yeah. Or the Eastern. The Delta no, it was the Eastern Airlines attraction, right? And the, there right. we go. Yeah. You know, until, you know, it's, it's like, you're the official airlines of Walt Disney World until you're no longer in business. <laughs> I still, by the way, I still remember that. I love that, that attraction, but I love the Delta attraction that replaced it too. But more to the point, Epcot loved the, the managers there. It's like, oh my God, it's an Omnimover. Right. An Omnimover will eat thousands of people an hour. It will change this side of the park. I mean, remember how few attractions Epcot had when it opened. I mean, you mentioned at the, the top of the show today, for example, the Rhine River ride, where they had laid down the slab for the foundation of that building. In fact, it's still out there. It breaks there. my heart. That one breaks my heart. It does. But anyway, so this was going to be a ride-through, a ride-through attraction that will take guests on their journey through the Spanish countryside and shopping and dining opportunities. And this project, according to every Imagineer who worked on Epcot that I've talked about, was locked and loaded. And it only then went south uh, after regime change with the Spanish government. And uh, as it was explained to me, Ooh. there was a failed coup in 81, uh, which was then followed in 82 by the rise of the Spanish Socialist Worker Party. And it, at that point, the Spanish government was like, you want us to do what? You want us to spend how much money on a, a thing in Florida? You know, we're kind of trying to feed people here. And uh, the project <laughs> dies. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Well, but, but the, the interesting thing is this happened a lot with Epcot. In fact, we were talking earlier about Marty Scalar, and he, he was, it's 1979, he's in Iran. He's pitching an Iranian pavilion to the Shah. And it, it, it's one of the things every day, steps out of his hotel, goes and have a meeting with the Shah's people, and he can't help but notice these uh, young people in the streets with signs. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> should I be concerned? <laughs> You know, it's just, no, 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 fine, go to your meeting. And eventually Marty is like, you know, there's, just, there's more of them and they seem a little vocal. And I think I'm going to the airport now. And, and but <laughs> Marty being Marty, you know, it's like he got on the plane and left behind the $50,000 one inch to one foot scale model of the, the Iran pavilion. And he was like, you kids, can you send that back? You know, and it's like, 
Yes, when we finish toppling the, you know, the people in power. Yes, that's the very first thing we'll do is, you know, pack up your, your oversized model. Mar Marty evidently chased it for years. You know, it's just, he, he, oh, you're in the Foreign Service. Do you oh, know anybody? Oh, my God. So it's still, by, by all accounts, it's still there. It is. It's still That's there. incredible. So, well, anyway, folks. So Epcot's Spanish pavilion lays dormant for a couple of decades only to come running back to life thanks to a new animated uh, feature that Walt Disney Studios had in development, which we'll discuss on the next Disney. No! Day. What? No big deal, Josh. I do this to Len all the time. You know, we pick up the story in the next show. Well, tell Len to extend his vacation so that I can get the first-hand <laughs> knowledge before anybody else. That's This is unfair. I, I apologize. I mean, you can always come back next week. <laughs> from I'll call you from Italy, from my trip to Italy. There we go. <laughs> all right. To, to, sure. You know, the, to, I'm sure, like Cuomo. Yeah. May, by the way, maybe I can stop, like maybe I can take a detour and stop in Spain and see if I can connect the Spanish government to the Imagineers and try to get this uh, thing Ooh, going again. That would be great. Okay. Well, anyway, folks, this has been, I, I'm hoping, as big a treat for you as it has been for me to have Josh come on the show and fill in for Mr. Testa. And it was so sweet of you to agree to do this on such short notice and more to the point, out ahead of your family's big trip. And again, we were pre-gaming. So it's, this is a, a special trip for your, your father-in-law's 90th? Is that right? 90th birthday. Yeah. Yep. Aww. It's and you know, my, my in-laws met in Italy, so it's a homecoming for them and it'll be uh, it'll be lovely. Yeah. By the way, thank you for giving me my last opportunity to work from a seat for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I'm very uh, grateful for that. <laughs> Well, toward that end, I just please take care of yourself because eight eight shows a week, you know, is going to be you know killer, you know. And but again, I'm I'm sure you and Andrew will do great. Oh, I love you. Thank you, and thank you to the listeners for bearing with me today and and allowing me to step in for Len. You did great. You did okay. great. Okay. Anyway, folks, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who this coming weekend will be showcasing his watercolor studies of the kittens he and Sabrina recently adopted. Uh, those paintings will be on display at the Mystic Outdoor Art Festival, which will be held in Mystic, Connecticut, August 12th through the 13th. And while Aaron's doing that, please go on iTunes and rate and recommend our show. More importantly, tell us what you want to hear next. For Josh and Len, this is Jim, and we will see you on the next show.